it's already one of the biggest shocks in economic history. In the space of seven days, you saw the prospect of economic activity falling off a cliff. As the government eases lockdown, how and when will the economy recover from coronavirus? And will it ever be the same? I do think that it's going to be as bad as the Great Depression and as bad as it was after the Second World War. But we have even bigger shocks to come. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, how to recover from the coronavirus recession. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The Bank of England has said it believes economic output could contract by 14% this year because of the consequences. The Bank of England believes the economy could suffer its biggest contraction for 300 years because of coronavirus. The economy is shrinking by 14% this year. Interest rates are being left at their emergency level of 0.1%. This isn't the first time in economic history, or even in recent memory, that the economy has faced a big shock. So what can we learn from the aftermath of past recessions to help us get out of this one? Today, we're examining the impact and the lessons of three big economic shocks, the 2008 financial crisis, the current pandemic, and one icy moment from the past that you might not have heard of. Our guides are the Sunday Times economics editor, David Smith, and an economist we'll hear from later who correctly predicted the last recession. But we start just a few months ago. We saw back in February that global stock markets were really taking fright. David Smith has been the economics editor at the Sunday Times for more than 30 years, and he's seen his fair share of recessions. It was actually, even by comparison with the financial crisis, a very fast-moving event. But it still took a while for the gravity of the situation to sink in. I don't think it was until early March that it became clear that anything the government was trying to do was going to be overshadowed by this crisis. In the space of just seven days from one Sunday to the next in mid-March, you saw the prospect of economic activity falling off a cliff. And we start with breaking news. Wall Street is about to close any minute now. The Dow collapsing around 1,900 points today. It's worse. This is panic, okay? This is what panic looks like. And did you realize that this was going to be unlike anything else? I mean, 
Were there moments that made you think, these are uncharted waters? Yeah, I think the, uh, the uncharted waters really is reflected in the fact that we have never had lockdowns like this before. I mean, we've had plenty of pandemics and we've had plenty of deep recessions. But what we haven't had is a recession which is directly caused by government action to lock down the economy on health grounds. For example, the the Hong Kong flu pandemic of the late 60s and early 70s was quite severe and it it resulted in something like 80,000 deaths in the UK. But at that time, nobody had considered locking down the economy. If you look at that period, there is no real economic effect. It was a public health crisis, but it wasn't an economic crisis. And as you heard Boris Johnson standing up and announcing that there would be a lockdown, as an economist, what was going through your mind? Quite early on, I got one of the economic consultancies to do some calculations on how much of the economy was not operating normally. And the results were that probably a third of the economy was shut down by the lockdown itself. And that's where more or less we still are. A third of the economy. Do we even know what that'll look like at the end of this? The level of GDP which we are falling to in the current quarter takes us back to something like the early 2000s. So, you know, 20 years of economic growth have been wiped away in the space of a few months. The Bank of England's projections basically said this is the worst economic recession we'll have seen for 300 years. So worse than anything caused by two world wars, the Great Depression, the financial crash in 2008. For most of us, I guess it raised the question of what on earth was happening 300 years ago (laughs) that was as (laughs) bad as this? (laughs) The history of the Great Frost in winter 1708 and 1709 by the Reverend Mr. W. Derham, Rector of Upminster. As to this matter, I believe this frost was greater, if not more universal, than any other within the memory of man. Well, the great frost of 1709 was an exceptionally bad European winter. This is the era where people skated on the Thames, the Thames froze, it affected the whole of Europe. The freshwater fish were everywhere killed in their parts, and vast destruction befell the small birds and many travellers on the road were some quite frozen to death. Others lost their hands, feet, noses or ears. In an agricultural economy, if the harvest is good, there's a lot of economic growth. If the harvest is bad, then the economy shrinks and can shrink quite a lot. In a word, so great were the damages done among the gardens that by inquiries made on purpose among the London gardeners, I've been informed that some of them have lost the value of £80, £100, yea, even £200. The Great Frost of 1709 was exceptionally severe, enough to bring about a shrinking in the economy of something like 13%. We thought we had put all that behind us, including, you know, we can't skate on the Thames anymore. We didn't think we were going to see the kind of figures that uh, were associated with those very unusual weather and harvest events in our lifetimes. And this takes it to a different level. The memory of the Great Frost may have faded, but a more recent crash is still reverberating in our daily lives. When the government announced lockdown, 
that's when I knew it's actually going to be incredibly difficult for the British economy. That's the economist Anne Pettifer. When she says she's worried, it's worth listening. She was one of the few economists who predicted the 2008 financial crisis. In fact, I'm really quite worried about the next three or four years. You're known for having predicted the financial crash in 2008. Yeah. Tell me about that period, watching all the things that you'd predicted yeah. starting to happen. It was quite frightening. I remember very vividly the Saturday 9th of August 2007. It was when it really dawned on me. The panic began in the U.S. mortgage markets when complex trades and mortgages tied to people with poor credit started to falter. Non-U.S. banks could be infected by too many... When central banks had to bail out the banking system, it was incredibly serious. The system broke down when banks stopped lending to each other because they had lost all confidence in each other's balance sheets, essentially. So there was what was called a credit crunch. England are away in the form of Alistair Cook's leg side play. Look how quickly that... In the case of the Bank of England, Mervyn King was watching a test match that weekend, Friday and Saturday, and he was a little more relaxed about it. So the Bank of England was a little bit slow to catch up. The real problem was the lack of understanding by economists of the financial system, how it operated, why such very high levels of debt were unsustainable. That was what was astonishing to me, was the failure of professional economists, the IMF, the World Bank, the Bank of England. That realisation was frightening. It, it did teach you that one has to be really careful about experts because sometimes they can get it wrong. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, the last couple of weeks have been the most turbulent period for the economy and the financial markets in living memory. Thousands of Northern Rock savers have queued for hours at branches to empty their accounts. Despite reassurances from the bank... Back in the um, financial crisis, it was a very worrying period. Eminent 
economists at that time, you know, advised their families to take as much money out of cash machines as they could in case the banks weren't around for much longer. And so there was a kind of falling off a cliff moment in the autumn of 2008 where you didn't know how we were going to come through it. Was that a shock for you? Was that something you'd expected to see in your lifetime? I didn't expect to see that in my lifetime, and and, and mainly because the circumstances in which we found ourselves were preventable. The worst of the crisis was brought about by the collapse of uh, Lehman Brothers in September 2008. Lehman Brothers, a 158-year-old firm, filed for bankruptcy. Brought down by bad mortgage investments, Lehman, which has 25,000 employees, will be... The day began with the bailout. The Prime Minister and the Chancellor making it clear that the financial system is so important to our society that by saving our banks, we're saving ourselves. For every family in this country, the stability of the banking system matters. My problem was always never with bailout of banks. My problem was always with the conditions under which banks are bailed out. The RBS bailout was enormous, was vast. And in the case of Royal Bank of Scotland, we're now 11 years on from that rescue and the government still has a stake in RBS. So when the question came up, and it keeps returning... Should the government take stakes in the troubled airline companies like Virgin, keep them from announcing redundancies? There's been a reluctance to do that because it takes a long time to get rid of those stakes once you have acquired them. I don't think the public had an understanding of the scale of the bailout. And I thought it was absolutely necessary to keep the systems stable. But I was dismayed that we more or less said to them, carry on as before and have some taxpayer money to do that with, you know. And that annoyed me. That made me very angry. So there was never a moment that forced them to learn the lessons of what had just happened? No. And so we never properly fixed the system that had led to those very high levels of debt. The bulk of the worrying part of it is corporate debt, the money that's been borrowed by firms. And often that money has been borrowed for speculative purposes, you know, to be able to go and gamble on the stock markets. And it hasn't been used for building, if you like, the real economy. They're not spending it on expanding their own businesses so much. No, the bosses got rewarded for the amount of borrowing they did, which is the wrong kind of incentive, in my view. And today, as we face a pandemic, we find that Big global corporates are heavily, heavily indebted. They're drunk on debt. We're building up another very big crisis. This is a very different kind of a shock. How do you think what we're facing now compares to 2008? Uh, it's, It's far worse, I think. The last shock was about the failure of the financial system. And the central banks could stabilise the system. This is going to be much, much harder for several reasons. Number one, the firms that are going to be most affected by this are those on the high street, little coffee shops and retail outlets, restaurants. Their incomes have fallen dramatically, but their rent hasn't. At the same time, they've also been part of big corporations that have borrowed huge sums of money to invest, for example, in a chain of coffee shops. Now, when people are forbidden from entering and sitting down inside coffee shops, when all you can do is probably offer a takeaway service, it's going to make a massive difference to company incomes. And that's going to affect landlords and banks. So it ain't just 
the companies themselves who are going to be damaged. And I doubt they're going to have time to recover before we have a vaccine and before we all feel secure enough to go on. So do you think they'll end up going bust in the meantime? Definitely. I think we're going to see an awful lot of bankruptcies, and and that's what the Bank of England is predicting too. And, you know, we're dominated by something called private equity these days. And the private equity firms have been going around buying up stuff and loading their target firms with debt. I mean, the classic example is Manchester United Football Club. You know, that got bought by some Florida firm and it was loaded up with debt. And what happens now is that Manchester United's fans, those people that turn up to watch the match, that buy the T-shirts, that buy the tickets, they are repaying the debt. And now they can't do that. So the income for repaying that enormous amount of debt that was loaded onto the club by its purchaser, who borrowed money in order to purchase the club, is not going to get repaid. So this is why it may start small, with smaller firms going bust, but it will snowball pretty quickly. What's really alarming about what we're experiencing now is, you know, in recent Bank of England projections all say they think this is going to be the worst recession we've seen in 300 years. Yeah, So worse than two world wars, worse than the Great Depression, worse than 2008. What do you think it'll be like? How bad do you think it'll get? I do think that it's going to be as bad as the Great Depression was and as bad as it was after the Second World War. I'm more pessimistic than I think most. I don't think there's going to be a V-shaped recovery. I think it's going to be much more L-shaped. You're not expecting a V-shaped recovery, so this is the idea that you bounce right back, so although growth has fallen, you just come straight back up again Mm. when lockdown is finished. You Mm. think it'll be more like an L, so sort of uh, staying near the bottom. It'll go on for a while. And go on for a while. Most people, what people really are feeling is fear. They are people are really, really frightened. I was shocked to hear that the number of people going into hospitals for heart attacks has collapsed by 50%. That means people are having heart attacks at home and dying rather than going to hospital. Can you imagine the level of fear that makes you not want to go into hospital when you're going to have a heart attack? And that's very hard to dispel just by releasing lockdown. Exactly. And in fact, if we release lockdown and the numbers spike up again, you will just exacerbate that fear. So it's the fear factor that I think is going to affect the economy. Does this crisis remind you of 2008? Are there any of the same remedies that we can use to get out of it? It wasn't as frightening in the sense that I don't think anybody thought that they were in physical danger. Uh, I think lots of people thought they were in economic danger. And the remedy then was quite straightforward. How do you persuade people to bring forward spending and get the economy going, uh, after which it will look after itself. And, and the kind of things that were done, there was a scrappage scheme for, um, for people trading in old cars for new ones. So that kept the, the car industry going. VAT cuts kept the retail sector going. Uh, and then you move through to a period of 
of relatively normal recovery. You know, the, the recovery was accompanied by austerity, cutting back on public spending. But this time, we've already got, you know, comfortably the lowest interest rates in our history. So interest rates are at rock bottom. People at home at the moment, consumers, don't really need the incentive of a VAT cut or they don't need a scrappage scheme. They just need confidence, confidence that it's safe. And also confidence that, you know, their jobs are going to be there at the end of it. It's really interesting that you sort of say a lot of the normal toolkit that a government would use in a, in a time of crisis doesn't really apply. You know, tweaking VAT isn't going to make a massive difference. What is open to the government? What are the policies they could pursue now? This is a time when you can look at the kind of economy we will have after this crisis. And I think it's, it's quite likely that some things which have grown very rapidly in, uh, in recent years, you know, things you could call consumer services, you know, coffee shops, restaurants, those are going to be constrained for, for quite some time. There is the possibility of a shift which involves making more things in our economy, perhaps fewer consumer services. And they should stick, I think, to plans they had for spending a lot more on infrastructure. You know, infrastructure generates uh, jobs. The great economist John Maynard Keynes said during the Depression that governments should employ workers. I mean, the example he used, it'd be worthwhile burying banknotes in old disused mines and employing workers to get them out. Better to do that than have high unemployment. I mean, it's interesting, the 2008 crisis in the, the bailouts the government uh, had to take on at the time, we've, we've been paying for those for the next, you know, more than the next decade. We were only just coming out of austerity when the pandemic hit. How long do you think we'll be paying for, for these measures? I mean, that is a very good question. This time, we're going to see the, you know, a big budget deficit this year, bigger than we had in the financial crisis. This will add a permanent 200 billion or so to the level of government debt. But I think it is fairly clear that what they won't do is respond to this with austerity mark two. You know, Boris Johnson has made clear that uh, he doesn't see that as a sensible way of proceeding. So, so these things aren't easy, I don't think. And, they, uh, and this, this crisis has come at a very unfortunate time. Having looked at some of the crises we've been in the past, are there lessons to learn about how we come out of them? What's the best case scenario? So the best case, we have to look at the post-Second World War era. Now, they had crashed the economy for six years. We'd borrowed money to finance this war and so there was rationing and that was tough and it went on for five or six years, right? But at that moment, government began to invest in setting up a national health service, in a public housing system, in a public education system. And all that investment stimulated the private sector and led to the creation of jobs, the generation of income, and therefore the economic recovery, which paid down the debt. So that, for me, is the model. Our planned economic response 
will be one of the most comprehensive in the world. We in government are doing everything we can to support you. We're paying people's wages up to 80%, so someone can be furloughed rather than laid off to protect their jobs. There's a big debate at the moment about when the special measures that the Treasury has announced to get us through this, when the economy can be weaned off them. The furlough scheme for people, you know, should it be removed gradually? It probably will be. The measures that it has announced have been very much aimed at short-term assistance, not to do what the Attlee government did in 1945, which is effectively nationalise large parts of the economy. So I think they've looked at the lessons from history and it's intended to be big but short-term rather than extended and long-term. Do you think it means that unemployment will be relatively low when this is all over because people have been furloughed, they haven't been a cost on their companies and they can just go back to work at the end of it? No, because their company may have had 80% of the salaries paid for and yet they have liabilities, they have debt and they have rent. The question is whether or not those companies can recover enough income quickly enough to keep their existing staff on the payroll. So we think the furlough scheme has effectively kept the economy on ice where it was, but actually, do you think there is a chance that lots of people who are furloughed at the moment are probably unemployed, they just don't know it yet? I think that's very likely. Mm. They probably do know it, actually. They probably are really very worried and very anxious, and they've got mortgages. I see the government talking about furloughs as being the public addicted to the money that they're getting from furloughs. To talk about that being an addiction and to use that language is to imply that it's going to be cut off pretty quickly. And I worry about that because it's the only income that we have at the moment. And I have a young family too, and they're all very, very worried about their futures. Do we come out of this a completely changed economy? I think there will be changes. I think there's going to be an interesting challenge for the government, which is, do you try and steer those changes, you know, towards a greener economy, for example, towards the local rather than the global? Or are you happy with a return to growth at any cost? Those two forces, I think, are going to be pulling against one another within government because I think there will be a strong temptation to say there's a limited extent to which we can use this crisis as an opportunity. I mean, we will be talking about this for a very, very long time. It shows the exceptional nature of what is happening at the moment. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Sunday Times economics editor David Smith and economist Anne Pettifor. You can read more of David's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was James Shield. The executive producer is Leo Hornack and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. You can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. Also, in these uncertain times, you can access analysis, opinion and advice from the experts every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe today to find out more.
See you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.